Good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so we'll continue. Today is our fourth week out of ten weeks in the nine fruit of the Spirit. And uh, starting next Sunday, some of my co-pastors are going to also join in. I've done the first four. I've got a couple more. But we're going to rotate between the four campuses so that for the rest of the series, everything will be live, not just here, but uh, at the other campuses as well. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for the fruit of the Spirit. We recognize that first we need a saving act. By faith, we need to believe that we are sinners in need of saving and accept the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, our Savior. His death to pay for our sin and by faith receive him as Savior and Lord. And having received your son, empower us by your spirit to begin to put on the fruit Father, we readily confess that it is beyond us to work on one fruit, much less nine, without your spirit. But Father, we ask that you would identify a fruit or two in our lives. And during these 10 weeks, that we would not be hearers of the word only, but doers as well, and that we would work, empowered by your spirit, to see one or two of these fruit developed in our lives, we ask that you would do this. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The 40th president of the United States was President Ronald Reagan. I don't know what you think of his politics. I'm not going to talk about his politics. But I want to tell you about an event in his life. It starts with a gal named Frances Green. Frances Green was 83 years old. She lived in California. She lived on Social Security, a very fixed income. But for eight straight years, she donated to the Republican National Convention. She donated exactly $1 a year for eight years. But that's enough to get your name in a computer. And so she received what probably tens of thousands received. She received a letter from Ronald Reagan inviting her to come to the White House to meet the president. And she was so excited about it, she didn't read the rest of the letter. Always read the whole letter. <laughs> well, the letter said, first you have to RSVP. She did not bother. She had been invited by the president. She was coming. And second, it asked for a substantial donation, which she did not make. But what she did do is take her life savings and bought a ticket on a rail system 
four-day trip from her part of California all the way to Washington, D.C. She arrived at the appointed day. She dressed herself in her white suit, which had yellowed with age. She had white stockings and white shoes and a white hat with a little bit of a netting up front. And she got to the appointed spot where the guard was, and she informed the guard that the president was expecting her. The president had a clipboard, looked up her name, Frances Green, could not find it, and rather rudely told her she needed to step aside. She was not invited. She protested. She said, I've been invited by the president. When the providence of God, standing behind her, was an executive with the Ford Motor Company. And he was a very large donor. And he was interested in what was going on. And so when she was removed from the line, he moved with her. And he said, Francis, tell me your story. And she told him the story and how she on a fixed income had come and the whole thing, how she had donated for eight years. And he said, Francis, I'm going to see what I can do. And so this executive from the Ford Motor Company, she knew Ann Higgins, who was an aide in the West Wing, who was an aide to the secretary of the president. And so Ann Higgins talked to the secretary, who talked to the president, who said, bring her in. I'm going to see her tomorrow. Now understand, this story was not made for reporters. There was no reporters, no photo op. In fact, it was leaked more than a decade after the president left the White House. This was not for public consumption. But the next day arrived, and in the providence of God, there was a world event. I don't actually know what event it was, but I do know that it took the attention of the president. And so this Ford executive thought there's no way she is seeing the president he is busy today. This is a world crisis, but maybe I'll get permission to give her a tour of the White House and we'll get over near the Oval Office and maybe we'll get there at the time that we're appointed to, to see the president. Maybe that big, huge door will swing open and she'll get a glimpse of the Gipper. Sounded like a plan. And so he was given permission to give her a tour. And at the appointed hour, he got near the Oval Office and, and the door swung open. And the president dismissed the admirals and the generals. He dismissed his security council. And he got up and he said, Francis, as he walked out. Francis, the computers have messed up again. If I had only known you were coming, I would have come to get you myself. A widow on Social Security. She's donated $8 over eight years. And he put her on his arm and walked her back in. They had coffee and tea together. He listened to her political views. No photo op, no reporters, a story leaked a decade later. That's not only last week's sermon, Christotes, kindness, but it's this week's sermon, goodness, which is right motives. There are no motives except right motives for the president to do that. This woman had no influence, no power, no voice, no money. She could do nothing 
for the president, but he could do something for her, and he did it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Apart from these things, there is no law, or against these things, there is no law. Well, today we're going to look at goodness. Obviously, we're going out of order. We have to do that in order to rotate the rest of the series. And so today we're going to talk about goodness. Now, I don't know if you have ever read any commentaries on Galatians, or you've ever read any books written by scholars on the fruit of the Spirit. There are entire books just on the nine fruit. But if you've read any, you probably know that eight of them are readily written about, and one of them is largely ignored. The one that is largely ignored is goodness, because sometimes scholars aren't exactly sure what is meant by goodness. Agatha Sune. But I want to illustrate it this way. I want to illustrate it using three of the fruit, including today's. Patience is macrothumia. Macro is a word that means long thumia, along with orhe, is one of two words in the New Testament for anger. So patience is holding one's anger for a long time. Patience is not proving one's point, putting someone down, making sure that everyone knows one is right. Patience is not saying and not doing what you want to say and what you want to do. That's patience. Last week, we looked at kindness. Christotes, which we said, etymologically, the formation of the word is very close to Christos, which means anointed one, a name for Christ, but then they diverge and Christotes literally means benevolence in action. It is actually doing what you don't want to do. It is saying what you don't want to say. Where patience is not doing and not saying, kindness is doing and saying. And goodness is the motives behind all of it. Because we can say the right thing for the wrong reason. We can do the right thing for the wrong reason. We cannot say or not do what ought to be done for wrong reasons. But goodness is all about motivation. Why are we saying? Why are we doing? Why are we not saying? Why are we not doing? Is it an act of worship? Is it an act focused on this great God that is the fruit of goodness? As I think about the fruit of goodness, I think about a man in the book of Acts. I'm a little shy about this because I know that as soon as we're done with Galatians, then we're going into the book of Acts, so I'm kind of tromping on where I'm going. But in the book of Acts, we're introduced to a man named Joseph, who will be called Barnabas, which is a word that means son of encouragement. And we are introduced to him in three different ways. I want to pick up with the first major text. It's Acts 4, 36 and 37. And then I'm going to read Acts 14, 14. Acts 4, verses 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, 
a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then Acts 14, 14 says this, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, and then it goes on to talk about an event. So I want us to notice right off the bat that Barnabas is an encouragement to the apostles, and he actually is one of the apostles. Now this word apostle, apostolos, is used several different ways. It's used to talk about Howard and Marilyn Pusser, who uh, are sent ones. They've been on the field for 37 years, whether in the Philippines or Hong Kong or Japan or somewhere else in Asia or somewhere else in Europe, they've been sent out. They are sent ones and they're doing the work of the Lord. That's one way you can use the word apostolos, sent ones. Sometimes today in some evangelical circles, maybe an African-American church or a Pentecostal church, if a pastor has a lot of influence beyond their congregation, sometimes they go by the title apostle. Isaiah insists that we call him Apostle Isaiah. It just, it's over my time. It's over, unbelievable. But, but we don't do that in our tradition, right? But some do. It doesn't mean something technical. It means that this individual has some influence. The last way, it's used of an individual who has seen the risen Christ and been particularly commissioned by the risen Christ to do ministry. A scholar named J.B. Lightfoot of yesteryear argued very enthusiastically and he won the day that the New Testament has 16 apostles and there has never been an apostle since. This is his numbering. I think it's correct. He said there were 12 disciples. They're all called apostles. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, committed suicide. And in Acts 1, he was replaced by Matthias. So the 12 became 13. Then there's Paul. Paul, Acts 9 saw the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he's called an apostle all over the New Testament. So you have 12 plus one is 13 plus Paul is 14. Galatians one says that Jesus is half brother. James is an apostle. So that would be 15. And I just read to you, Barnabas and Paul, who are apostles, he's the 16th. Some have argued for as many as 23. I don't think that's true. I think there's 16, but whether there's 16 or 23, it doesn't really matter. These are very influential individuals. And Barnabas is one of them. And it tells us that Barnabas is from Cyprus and he's a Levite. That tells me a lot. Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean. It's about 250 miles from Jerusalem. Now half of Cyprus is owned by Greece and the other half of Cyprus has been owned by Greece. It's been owned by Turkey. It's been independent. You got to look it up. It's always changing. You don't know when you get to Cyprus. You know half of it is owned by Greece and you're not sure of the nationality of the other half. It's kind of like the, the island of Hispaniola, right? 
You got the Dominican Republic and you got Haiti. It's kind of a divided island. That's what Cyprus is. So the Jerusalem church is in his home church. But wherever God has planted him, he's going to serve. And so he ministers out of the church of Jerusalem. And the second thing I notice is he's a Levite. That means he's a worship pastor. Allow your minds to drift back 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago was when the Jews were entering the promised land. You know, the only people on the face of the earth of whom God gave a people group land is the Jews. He did it 3,500 years ago. And today we have politicians that want to carve up Israel the only land given to a people group. And by the way, you know how big Israel is? It's whopping. From north to south, it's 120 miles. From east to west, at its widest point, it's 40 miles. Israel is very, very small. And God gave it to the Jewish people. Now you remember when God gave it to the Jewish people, there were 12 tribes and God said, divide the land up by the tribes, by the clans, by the families. And so if you have 12 tribes and you have a bit of land, how many sections do you divide it into? 11, right? Makes sense to me. You have 12 tribes, you divide it into 11 because there's a group that got nothing. Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2, the Levitical priests all the tribe of Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. The worship pastors get nothing. Please tell that to Jeff Weiss. <laughs> they shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. So land for a Levite is very hard to come by. I think the land we're referring to is not on the island of Cyprus. I think it is land around Jerusalem. How Joseph got that land, I'm not really sure. Because you pass it on from generation to generation to generation to generation. But somehow, a Levite, Joseph, got land. And if you've got land, and land isn't for sale, and you're not from a tribe that even has land, you're going to hold on to that land rather tightly. And yet he takes the land, he sells the land, and he takes the proceeds, and he puts it at the feet of the disciples. And they're so encouraged. They said, you know, we're not going to call you Joseph anymore. We're going to call you Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Now that's a kind act, right? Christotes, that's last week's sermon. It's a kind act, but Scripture wants us to know that it's not just a kind act, it's an act with the right motives. In a verse that kind of summarizes Barnabas' life, in Acts 11.24, we read this. For he was a good, there's our word, agathos, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So it's not just a kind act, it's a good act, it's not just benevolent action. It's with the right motives. It's an act of worship for the Lord that he sells the land and he lays the money at the feet of the disciples. And I've got to step back and ask, if motives matter, 
What am I doing with my life? You see, it's really kind of easy to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. You've seen it in somebody else. Maybe you've even seen it in your own life. We do the right thing so we don't get in trouble. Or we do the right thing so someone thinks positively of us. Or we do the right thing because we know that somehow by doing the right thing, it will come back to us tenfold. And so we do the right thing with the wrong motive. We do Christotes, benevolent action, or patience, macrothumia, but we do it so that we benefit. But this word goodness, agathosune, means we do and say, or we don't do, and we don't say what is right as an act of worship. Well, back to the case, back to the story. We all know that every word is inspired by God. We believe in inerrancy. We believe in divine inspiration. This is the word of God. But what we also know is that chapter breaks and versifications are not inspired. They're given to us by editors so that we can navigate. So I can say, please turn to Acts 4, 36 and 37, and we're not all over the Bible. And if you're smart, you have the little tabs like I do, so you can find the book of Acts. And then you just go to the fourth chapter and you, you navigate, right? Well, this is one of those really bad chapter breaks. Because everyone who reads Acts 4, 36 and 37 reads it alongside Acts 5, 1 to 11. Now, I'm not going to read Acts 5, 1 to 11. I'm going to save that for my Acts series, but I'm going to tell you the story. So we have Barnabas, Joseph, who sells a piece of land. He's a Levite. Land's hard to come by. He sells the land. He gets the money. He gives it to the apostles. They're so blessed. They said, hey, we're going to call you Barnabas, son of encouragement. And then we got this guy and gal Ananias is the guy, Sapphira is the gal, and, and they see this and they say, wow. <laughs> you know, I could use a new nickname, King Tithe, uh, Queen Generosity. I don't know what they're looking for, but they like the fact that, that Joseph has been given some recognition. And so they have this piece of land and they sell it. That's wonderful. And then they give some of the money to the church. That's awesome. Some of you have done that. Thank you so much. And if they had just left it at that, it would have been great. But what they did is this. Man, we wish we had a bigger piece of land and we wish we had gotten a little bit more. We gave you every last shekel, every denarii, everything that came out of the land, we have given it to you. And you remember the account. Ananias comes back later, Sapphira by herself, and, and Ananias says, uh, <laughs> Or Peter says, Ananias, uh, you know that, that, that money you gave us? Yeah, 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 all of it. Uh, you want to you wanna rethink that story? Uh, nope, gave it all, all, all. And he dies. And Sapphira comes in, and Peter says, hey, you know, you didn't really give it all. Let, let's just, let, let's drop that. No, we gave it all. No, come on, just drop that before you drop, you know. Come on, just back off. No, we gave it all and, and she dies. Now, aren't you glad you're not Ananias and Sapphira? Whew. Lie and die? I actually wrote a sermon with that title once. Lie and die. 
I don't think it really preached, but I thought it was clever. <laughs> That's what they did. They lied and, and God took their lives. Now, I think it's because it was a pattern. I think it was because the early church was developing and they probably had an unusual influence and God wanted to protect the early church. And I think it was to set an example for the early church and for us. But here's the point. Nobody pressured them. Nobody said, did you tie that land? I mean, the full 10%, did you do it? 20%, did you, how much did you get? Nobody's asking them. They're just volunteering this because they're doing a good act, Christotes, for all the wrong reasons. There's no goodness in their life and motives matter. I want to remember that when I give. Motives matter. One of the reasons we don't have plaques with the best givers or pews with people's names on it. You laugh, but that's historically true in this country. We don't have that nonsense because 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful, a joyful giver. Joseph called Barnabas was an encourager because his motives were right. That's the first account of Joseph. The second account comes out of the life of Saul. Now you remember Saul, later on we're going to call him Paul, and, and some people say, oh, he's called Paul when he came to Christ. No, that's not right. He's called Paul 13 years after he comes to Christ, actually. He comes to the name Paul because that's a Gentile name. Saul is a Jewish name, and he becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So when he goes to the Gentiles, he doesn't use his Jewish name, he uses his Gentile name. That's why he's Saul Paul. But he was Saul early on. And he's a bad guy. He's got a rap sheet. You remember in Acts chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen. He's stoned to death. And the individual who's watching over Stephen and making sure that he really dies, that would be Saul. He's got a bad, bad history. Let me read from Acts 8 verse 3. It tells us a little bit about him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women. He made orphans. He made orphans. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. He's a bad guy. Let's suppose for a moment, Saul, who is murdered, who is stoned people, who has made orphans, walks in here this room. He says, brothers, sisters. And they're all like backing away. Wolf in sheep's clothing. He's got letters from the religious authorities to arrest people. You're not taking a chance, right? He's a wolf in sheep's clothing, but someone takes a chance. It's Barnabas. Let me read from chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And when he had come to Jerusalem... He attempted to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he, Saul, was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
You know what one of the hardest things if you've walked with the Lord for a long time is to believe that God is doing a remarkable work in someone else's life. It's really hard. You've been praying for a child, a wayward child, your child, your grandchild. And you've been praying and praying and all of a sudden God lights a fire with the spirit in that child's life and you say, yeah, we'll see. Give it three months tops. Or you have somebody who's been walking with the Lord and then they really become wayward. And then God does something, rekindles a flame. And you say, yeah, yeah, I've seen this before. <laughs> I've seen it before. I'm not, I'm not believing it. And one of the most difficult things is to believe that God does the miraculous. Look around, we're evidence. God does the miraculous. He turns sinners into saints. People who are becoming more and more like Christ. And so we need more Josephs, Barnabases. Who are you going to take a chance on? Who am I going to take a chance on? You know, if you take a chance on someone, this is my own record. I think you have a 45% chance that you're going to be disappointed. That would be about right for me in my life. So 55 I said that backwards. You have a 45% chance that you will be elated. A 55% chance that you will be disappointed. That would be about what I've noticed in my life. I take a chance on people a little bit better than half have disappointed me. But what if I hadn't taken a chance? Would I see what God has done in the lives of 45% of those I've taken a chance? Would you see what God has done in the lives of 45% or what, maybe, your, maybe your statistic would be higher than mine. I don't know. I think realistically we have to know we're going to be disappointed and we're going to be elated. But God calls us to take a chance. A take a chance. Barnabas took a chance on Saul who became Paul who planted 60 churches who wrote 13 books of Holy Scripture who turned the world upside down. What if Barnabas had been like the rest of the disciples that said, you know what? I'll catch you on the backside. Maybe in 10 years. Maybe. And by the way, the text says that Paul boldly preached the gospel. He did, but you know he's not in leadership for 13 more years. We have three years where he's in Syria. We have 10 quiet years. There is truth that we don't put someone immediately in leadership. We've got to test the waters. It was 13 years before he was a leader, but somebody took a chance on him. Who are you? Who am I taking a chance on? That's the second account of Barnabas. The final account comes out of Acts 15 and a little bit earlier. Here we have Barnabas and Paul and and they're going to go out on a missionary journey. They're sent ones. They're apostolos. They're going to actually have three missionary journeys, at least Paul will. And so he is going to go from Jerusalem up to the eastern side of Europe. 
to the region of Galatia, which would be Turkey, and, and then he'll go down up near Turkey would be Laodicea and Berea, etc. And then he'll go down to the Aegean and Adriatic Sea and the area of Corinth. And the two of them set out on the trip and, and Barnabas brings his nephew, John Mark. So there's three of them on this first missionary journey. It's AD 46 and it's going well. In those three journeys, they will plant 60 churches. And they get to the region of Galatia, which is Turkey-ish. And that's an area 2,000 years ago. It's filled with malaria and marauders. And John Mark decides he wants his mommy and daddy. And he abandons his commission. He abandons Paul and Barnabas. And he goes back home. And, and Paul and Barnabas finish the missionary journey. And then another year passes. That was 46 and 47, 48 passes, then AD 49. And Paul says to Barnabas, or Barnabas says to Paul, hey, let's go back, strengthen the churches, maybe plant a few more. And they say, great. And they pack their Samsonites, and they get their walking sticks, and they got their, their water, and they're about to set out, and it's Paul and Barnabas and, and John Mark. And Paul can't believe it. He's like, what's he doing? Oh, he's going with us over my dead body. Well, well, we got to take a chance on him. I, I took a chance on you, Saul Paul. Yeah, but once a quitter, always a quitter. He isn't going. And you read Acts 15, 36 to 41. There is a real divide between these brothers and the Lord. So much so that they cannot reconcile the decision and Barnabas takes John Mark and goes one direction. And Paul takes a guy named Silas and goes another direction. And as far as we know, Paul and Barnabas really don't serve together again. Now, what you may or may not know is there are monologues. There are scholastic articles arguing over who is right and who's wrong. I don't know, but I know who wins. God. So we have a second missionary journey, right? And then we get to AD 65, 66. Paul is in Rome. He's a prisoner. He's about to die. He's about to be martyred. He's writing his last will and testament, which is 2 Timothy. And the very end of 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11, reads as follows. This is what Paul is writing just before he dies. Luke, he's the author of Luke Acts, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Well, that's John Mark, by the way. Get John Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. And so we've gone full circle. The deserter became God's man. And Paul, the author of scripture, the planter of churches, the apostle to the Gentiles, he's on death row. And he says, Luke isn't enough. I've got a little more ministry to do and I'm faltering. I know who I want. I want the deserter. I want the guy that I wouldn't take on that trip. I want John Mark. Send him for ministry. Macrothumia. Long-suffering, patience. It's not saying, not doing what we want to say and what we want to do. Christotes, kindness. It's doing and saying 
what is hard to do and say, it's benevolent action. And agathosune, goodness. It's the motives behind what we do or don't do, what we say or what we don't say. That's the fruit of goodness. Motives matter. Your motives, I'm sure, are often good. Motives matter. During the series, we don't want to hear the word only. We want to do as well. And so I've got four brothers in Christ, four of us in one group, and then myself and another in another group. And most days we email one another. And uh, two of us are working on self-control. One is working on peace. One is working on patience. One is working on gentleness. And so we ask one another, is there evidence how are we doing? Ten weeks of that nonsense. I've blocked all four of the guys on my phone. But I send out to them to see how they're doing. It's not enough for me to be a hearer of the word. I've got to be a doer as well. Let's pray. Father God, as we go through the fruit... Identify in each of us a fruit or two that we ought to work on, that we need to work on. And it's the fruit of your spirit, so it's not only our effort, it's not just white knuckle, but empowered by your spirit. Transform us and change us for your glory. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.